Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Friday, June 18th, 2021 edition of On Iowa Politics. This week on the podcast, we have our first Democratic candidate for governor. Another Democrat is seriously thinking about running for Congress in the first district. And our current governor signs a couple of big bills into law. Hello, everyone. I'm Aaron Murphy, the Des Moines Bureau Chief for the Enterprises. With me today are Amy Rivers of the Waterloo Cedar Falls Courier. Good morning, Amy. Good morning, Aaron. And also Gazette columnist Todd Dorman. Good morning, Todd. Good morning. And as a reminder for you all, you can subscribe to the On Iowa Politics podcast on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever, wherever you find your favorite podcasts. First up this week, we know that Governor Kim Reynolds will be largely, if not entirely, unchallenged in the Republican primary when she runs for re-election as expected next year. Now we know for certain that she will not be unchallenged in the general election either. Not that we ever thought that she might. Uh, the first Iowa Democrat is officially declared candidacy, and it is Waterloo State lawmaker Roz Smith. Amy, uh, over there in Waterloo, you reported on Smith's campaign announcement. What did he have to say about the kind of candidate that he hopes to be? Well, we're just excited that we got uh, somebody from Waterloo that's uh, in the news finally over here. Yay! <laughs> what was the last time we had a governor from Waterloo? That'd be interesting. I bet Todd knows. He'll, he'll tell me. But but yeah, so, I mean, Roz is, you know, a state representative. Um, he he was basically, um, after Deb Barry stepped down, longtime state representative here um, in his majority Democratic district, he ran. Um, he actually did get a Republican opponent, um, but pretty well beat him handily with like 63% of the vote. Um, and then since then has been unchallenged. Um, he was elected in 2016, unchallenged in 2018, unchallenged in 2020. So it's going to be really interesting to see if he can parlay what is basically, um, you know, an anointment year after year into um, actually a, getting into what will definitely be a competitive race for governor. So so that'll be really interesting. Um, his campaign, you know, was very much... Um, bridging the gaps. So yes, um, you know, I have a background in farming. Yes, I have, you know, um, the the rural roots as well as the urban roots. Um, grew up on the east side of Waterloo, still live here with my family. So, so really trying to, you know, put together a general election candidacy kind of thing. Um, it will be really interesting to see if once more Democrats get in the field, which we're almost certain that they will, where he sort of sets himself in that ranking among the Democrats. So that'll be what I'm watching for going forward. All right. Thanks, Amy. And to those who picked up on that, uh, we're past the pandemic and folks are back in the newsroom and that's why you could hear yeah. some chatter behind Amy there. <laughs> uh, Todd, as Amy noted, obviously Smith will not be the only Democrat to run uh, for governor. There, there almost certainly will be a competitive primary here. Obviously, without knowing for sure who else will run, I mean, we know some possibilities, but as of right now, we don't know for sure. Um, just kind of looking at Roz Smith, what kind of chances uh, do you give him? Can he can he be the type of candidate who can be a serious competitor in a Democratic primary? You know, I I, I think so, just because uh, he's well regarded in the party. I mean, people like him. Uh, they like what he's done in the legislature. They appreciate the leadership he's provided. So. Uh, yeah, I mean, it'll all depend on, you know, how his campaign progresses. If he if he goes out and delivers a, you know, a, a good message that Democrats want to hear, and uh, you know, 
brings out some policy proposals that are attractive to primary voters. Uh, I think they're willing to give him a listen, and I think, you know, he he has plenty of upside if, you know, if he turns out if his you know campaign progresses in a positive way. I mean, we don't know how many people are going to run, but it's, chances are he there will be some formidable opponents. But I don't know that there's anyone I can think of that might run that would just, you know, sort of end the discussion. I think there are candidates that that could win and that would do well. But you know, I think I think Roz Smith, you know, can can hang with those candidates and it may be, you know, it may be a closer primary than we think. I don't know how many candidates are going to get in. We could have as few as three or four and, you know, as many as five, six, seven, somewhere in there. But I think Ross Smith is definitely part of the conversation. Yeah, I'd agree with that. And I, and I uh, agree with that. And I, I made these points in a, um, a little piece I wrote for the weekend. I mean, he, he's, been at the front of some important issues and at the legislature. So while he may not have a statewide profile, um, first of all, I don't know how many Democrats do, so that doesn't necessarily put him behind an eight ball. And, and, um, and, and he's been at the forefront of, you know, their racial and social justice legislation. And he's also been big on education. So um, he'll be in a, he'll be in an easy, he's on the younger side. Maybe that helps him present yeah. a contrast. Um, it, it'll, it'll be interesting. It's it's hard to run out of the legislature for governor, but it's it's been done. I think, you know, when Tom Vilsack ran in '98, I, I in the beginning I thought, you know, Mark McCormick was probably Supreme Court former Supreme Court justice was probably the the front runner. But you know, like Roz Smith, uh, Vilsack had a had a compelling personal story and was uh, you know good on the stump and you know basically built that campaign and had some. A lot of help from the public public sector labor unions were kind of what carried him over the top. But you know, so you you can run out of the legislature even if you're not known statewide. You know, especially now with social media and, and all the tools we have, you can you can get known fairly quickly. Yeah, all right. Obviously, one to watch, and and not only Roz alone, but as we noted, to see who else uh, gets involved in that Democratic primary in the coming weeks and months. Moving on to another 2022 election. Cedar Rapids area Democratic state lawmaker Liz Mathis said this week that she is giving serious thought to running for Congress in eastern Iowa's first district. Now, this is putting uh, the cart in front of the horse here, but if Mathis were to happen to secure the Democratic nomination and run against freshman Republican incumbent Congresswoman Ashley Hinson, that would be a, an election race between two former TV news journalists who worked at the same Cedar Rapids station, <laughs> uh, KCRG with TV, which is just crazy. So uh, my first question actually is to both Todd and Amy, which one of you will be the first to announce your intention to leave journalism and run for office? Todd. <laughs> yeah, I, I, don't, I don't think I will be doing that. I may be leaving journalism at some point. But... <laughs> That'll that'll just be involuntary. I mean, it's, it won't be going to run. Can I just say, Todd, Todd has really been laying the groundwork for a race on Twitter. I mean, we've all seen it. Yeah, I've I've been laying the groundwork for scandals. <laughs> What's the difference? Yeah, right. You should fit right in then. All right. Uh, so, so, Todd, uh, let me let me ask you first here um, in all seriousness. So, so again, uh, Mathis, a very highly regarded state legislature, she does have good rec- name recognition, uh, pardon me, name recognition um, in her area uh, for the 
previously discussed reasons. Uh, if she jumps into this first district race, my question to you is, does that clear the Democratic primary field? Does a Liz Mathis candidacy scare off all other Democrats? Yeah, I I think so. I mean, I, I think she, as you said, is is well-known and well-regarded and, and has been mentioned numerous times for running for something bigger than the state Senate. Uh, yeah, she would be, a, she's going to be a formidable candidate. I mean, it's, and, you know, of all the candidates the Democrats could have picked to go up against Ashley Henson, this would probably be number one on their list. I mean, because of her name recognition and, you know, she's, she's as, as adept at, at being telegenic, I guess, as whatever the word would be as, as Henson is. So, uh, yeah, that would be a really interesting, a really interesting race. Amy, you're uh, based in the first district, uh, although Mathis's state house district isn't in coverage area, obviously. But um, if she ran for Congress, that'd be in your area there. Do you have any initial thoughts on Mathis's potential kind of, I'd even dare say, likely candidacy? Yeah, I think it, it's it's looking increasingly likely that she's, you know, going to be running. She's meeting with, you know, people like Cindy Axney. She's talking with, you know, the newspapers and, and things like that. I mean, she's she's laying a, more of a groundwork than Todd would be if he was running, basically. But um, <laughs> it's really interesting because they're 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 on paper almost the exact same candidate, right? With their backgrounds both in broadcast journalism, they literally worked at the same TV station um, at the same time. Basically, um, they were both in the state legislature. And, and now are, are um, going for the same race. So it's really interesting. I mean, obviously, you're going to find political differences, but just looking at their background, that's and that's a big thing to people. Um, did I, Have I seen them before? Do I trust them on the news? And that trust can, you know, engender itself in other ways, like in politics. So I think that'll be one of Liz Mathis' strengths if she decides to run, and that'll be really one of the interesting things to watch. Um, will it be a battle of the TV station, you know, former reporters, anchors, whatnot, have you? And it'll it'll be very interesting. Yeah, and she and and Mathis has a kind of you know she's from a, a sort of swingy Senate district where I I happen to be sitting right now. I'm I'm in her in her district, and I can look out the window and tell you it's kind of swingy. So, <laughs> uh, so she has a somewhat kind of a moderate profile as a legislator. I mean, she's not. When she, you know, after the news broke that she was considering it, the, the I think some Republicans took a fairly lame swing at her trying to call her socialist Liz Mathis or something, which I think to her constituents and the people that know her is is kind of laughable because she's not exactly AOC. I mean, she's, you know, she worked at Four Oaks, which is a child welfare organization and, and has, you know, done various things after her TV career. But uh, so, yeah, I mean, you know, if you if you know if if Representative Henson's last campaign is any indication, there's going to be lots of that. You want to defund the police, and you're a socialist, and you want to, you know, the Green New Deal, and no more ethanol. And it's just it's it's going to be a little bit tougher to make that sort of stuff stick on on Liz Mathis, I think. But I'm I'm, you know, doubtless they'll try. Yeah, yeah, I think that's a really good point, Todd, and I would agree. I think yeah. you know, in 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 reality. Um, that's a tough sell to make. Um, what you're describing there, how the Republicans would 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 try to brand Liz Mathis. Um, now that said, um, 
as we all know all too well, campaigns are not always conducted in reality. <laughs> and, <laughs> yeah. and, They're not conducted in reality at all anymore to some extent. <laughs> so, so, so it will be interesting to see a, if they kind of continue to try to, to slap that label in, on Liz Mathis and, and, and then be whether it sticks. Um, I agree. The evidence won't, will be tough to mount, but uh, uh, some of those campaign ads don't really care a whole lot about evidence. So we'll see how that goes. And, and to, to circle back on uh, the original question, we'll see if, uh, if Liz Mathis does run, if she's the, if she does indeed kind of clear that field, I, 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 I would tend to agree. Um, it, it sure. And I'll tell you what else, Todd, and it, um, let me run this by you really quick. We had heard whispers that um, if Abby Finkenauer, who held this seat before losing Dashley Hinson in the recent election, um, if she was thinking about doing anything, maybe she was thinking about running for the Senate. I would assume that this budding Liz Mathis news kind of indicates to us that Abby Finkenauer is not considering running for re-election in the first district, um, or trying to run again, I should say, in the first district, because I would assume that if she was, that Liz Mathis would not be considering this. Do you think, is that a fair kind yeah, of... Yeah, I, th- I think that's probably, right? yeah, I think that's probably right. Uh, yeah, I, you know, the, once once Abby sort of talked about maybe running for the Senate, then you then you see this Mathis thing come after that. And so I think that's how the, how the uh, dominoes are kind of falling. Yeah, yeah. All right. Well, again, we'll we'll be watching those dominoes and talking about them in future episodes. Finally, this week, get into actual governing off the campaign trail here. Governor Kim Reynolds this week signed into law a couple of uh, pretty big bills that were passed in the legislative session. One tax reform bill that included uh, approximately a billion things in it. So I won't go through all of them here, but uh, the big ones in uh, an income tax cut and shifting mental health care funding from local property taxes to the state. And then she also, the next day, signed the so-called Back to Blue bill, which adds some legal protections for law enforcement officials. Um, Amy, the tax bill, uh, again, I said about a billion things. It also included that phase out of the property tax tax bill for local governments. We talked about that on last week's podcast. You wrote a great story about it. Uh, folks, if you missed it, should go check that out. Um, but I wanted to ask you about the, the shift in mental health care funding from local property taxes to the state. That was a very popular provision. Uh, bipartisan support, uh, advocates and stakeholders really uh, uh, like that. And there were a bunch of them at the bill signing ceremony. Um, There was some hesitation, though, from Democrats, Democratic lawmakers, about uh, kind of a concern about the future of funding now, because now now mental health care funding is in that big state budget pie and it's got to compete every year with everything else. How did did you talk to Cedar Valley Democrats? How did they feel about that shift of mental health care funding to the state? They're cautiously optimistic is probably the best way to put it. Um, you're right that it's it's popular. Um, and the caveat is it's popular if it's <clears throat> funded and if it keeps being funded. So because it's tied to this property tax backfill thing that's going away, which was also something that was popular as long as it was funded, they're wary, right? So they're, they're saying if you can just take that away, you could take this away. And and it's not without precedent, obviously. And so that's the wariness. You know, yes, it would probably be good if um, there was a dedicated state fund that equally dispersed um, money to where it's needed, um, especially to pick up the slack in, in places of the state where they don't have the money to fund mental health. And it's such a crisis. 
you can't keep doing the same thing you're doing and expect the same results. So change in that sense is good. And I think that Democrats are a little bit optimistic. Um, people like Representative Tim Brown Powers, who actually works in healthcare, um, is keep saying, though, you need to fund this. This needs to be adequately funded and going into the future being funded because otherwise it's going to become an, another unfunded mandate that will actually make our pretty horrible mental health care system in the state even worse. So I think that's what they're really wary about. Todd, Todd, what's your level of confidence in future legislatures to um, adequately fund mental health care services now that it's up to the state? Well, all you need to do is ask your local school superintendent. I mean, that's, I mean, we have the same system to fund public schools and that hasn't worked out so hot for them. Uh, and, you know, yesterday, you know, when she signed the bill, the tax bill, uh, she, she didn't say, and next year we're going to, we're going to look at more funding. She said, next year, we're going to cut taxes even lower. So this idea that, that the state's taken over the system, which is expensive and has never been adequately funded, and now they're talking about more tax cuts. I, you know, I'm I'm not hopeful, you know, that they're going to be doing much beyond the, you know, an inflationary budget increase, which is is not going to get the job done. Yeah, that, that's such a great point, and um, <clears throat> that's exactly what. So, Governor fielded questions uh, from reporters after that bill signing and, and, and I asked her about exactly that Todd, cause I had the same reaction. Okay. You, you're adding things to the state budget and then proposing to take more revenue out of the state budget. So how can those two things uh, still work uh, going forward? And, and she, she said, you know, we'll do our projections and blah, blah, blah. But, I, <laughs> but I think that's the, yeah, I mean, that's, that's the, uh, that, that's, that, that's the concern. I think that you raise a very valid, point that uh, we're throwing we're, we're making um the pie bigger um but with fewer ingredients i think is maybe the analogy there yeah um so todd i also mentioned the back the blue bill um uh and setting the, uh, aside the contents of it and some of those were popular and some were contentious um the other discussion here i wanted to ask you about is over um how the bill attempts to address police safety uh, but does not in any way address the other half of the societal equation that our our country is grappling with right now, and that's racial and social justice. Um, after passing landmark legislation in 2020, Republican majorities in the Iowa legislature this year didn't even hold a hearing on a, any racial and social justice bills, much less advance them and, and, and get one to the governor. Uh, Todd is... Is that the new direction for the Iowa GOP? Are they just going to focus on police protections and ignore calls for further police reforms um, like the anti-racial profiling bills out there? Or is there a chance that those Republican majorities come back next year and tackle that other side of the ledger? It's, I mean, it's possible, but it's doubtful. And, you know, we, the, the Republicans in the legislature, as we've seen a lot of times, they have sort of a, a nationalized agenda. They're doing things that other red states are doing. They're doing things that Donald Trump did. And, you know, last summer, immediately after uh, George Floyd was was killed at the hands of police, there was a little bit, there was a moment where there was some bipartisan, you know, agreement that something had to be done. This was a particularly egregious case. Maybe there are changes that could be made. But, you know, as the summer went on, and, you know, and that was that was when the legislature passed what it passed and the governor signed it. It was unanimous, 150 to nothing. Uh, 
And but then during the summer, the president, then Donald Trump, started to depict these protests as like an existential threat to democracy. And they were going to march into the suburbs. And and these are Black Lives Matter or Marxists. And and so the tone changed and they began and they, you know, began to sort of demonize the protesters and turn them into a, a political cudgel to beat Democrats who were more sympathetic to the protests. So. Uh, and I think the Iowa GOP sort of made that transition also. I mean, I remember immediately after uh, uh, Reynolds signed the bill, there were there already started to be some criticism of her on, you know, on Republican websites and social media that she had thrown in with Black Lives Matter and they're Marxists and this was a bad idea. And so Donald Trump ran against these protests. It became a law and order campaign. And I think when the Republicans, you know, swept the victories they did in Iowa, they decided they were going to continue to follow that sort of law and order playbook. Uh, and I mean, that's that's how we got to today. And I like I say, I'm, I'm doubtful they'll they'll take up any of the issues that the, the social justice movement is, is, is hoping for. It's a you know, it's a pretty, pretty remarkable turnaround from watching that sunny bill signing on the steps last year with you know, Black Lives Matter and uh, NAACP and all those folks around to yesterday when she's just flanked by ranks of <laughs> law enforcement officers as she signed the Back the Blue bill. It's, it was a very, a very different visual. Yeah, I, I think that's such a great point you make about about the campaign and, and the direction. I mean, if I were a betting man, I, I would tend to agree, Todd, because it's not only did they they go out and turn that into a campaign issue. They reminded anybody who was willing to listen of that repeatedly throughout the session. Uh, you know, when anybody would ask them, including journalists would ask, you know, okay, you, you're doing, you know, uh, police protections. Are you also going to do police reform? The answer was always some version of, hey, we went out and campaigned on back to blue and protecting the police. And, and that's what we're here to do. That, that doesn't sound to me like um, a group of folks that are planning to make any sort of uh burying off of that off of that path that they've set themselves on i we'll see they've got a chance to prove us wrong um next year um but we'll see I, my hunch uh is the same read as yours todd well that's it for this weekend this week's edition of on iowa politics we thank you all for listening and we hope it was worth your time if you like the show subscribe and tell a friend you can send fan mail to on at gmail.com and don't forget the work of everyone you heard here today, and as well as those who couldn't be with us, can be found on the pages and websites of the Quad City Times, Waterloo Cedar Falls Courier, Sioux City Journal, Mesa City Globe Gazette, Muscatine Journal, Council's Bluffs Daily Nonpareil, and Cedar Rapids Gazette. Youth Orchestra will play us out this week. If you know a talented band or Iowa musician who should be featured on our show, send us a sound file. We'd love to play it. For Amy, Todd, and our producer, Stephen, I'm Aaron Murphy. Thanks for listening.
once a year. And it tastes so good that the old town knows when she makes that soup, it's good to hear.
She locks her house up so tight To keep all the ladies out And to make that soup to taste so right All the ladies, they drop by They say hello in one big room But my grandma knows that they talk big lies They just want to know what's in that soup Put into that soup. 